This is Off Script with Trish Close. Intimate interviews with interesting people. And in front of my microphone today is Sarah Gar. Hello, Sarah Gar. Hi, how's it going? It's going very well. Thank you for being here today. Um, I just asked you, you're officially on the production team for Barrel 42 and Quaddy North. You're a winemaker, mm-hmm. wine gal, wine person. Person, yeah. You really like <laughs> wine. Yes. Okay. Um, so what do you do for Barrel 42 and Quaddy North? A little bit of everything. Um, I... Uh, drive forklift. I clean a lot of stuff mm-hmm. all the time. I move a lot of heavy stuff around. Uh, I help out with some of the lab stuff. Like if we're, um, I have to test alcohol on my wine. Mm-hmm. As an employee there, you get uh, to make a ton of wine for free. So you essentially just have to buy the vessel that it goes in, whether that's a stainless steel drum or a barrel. Okay. Um, and then uh, you get to you get to have a ton of grapes that you pay for. This is at Barrel 42? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's a it's a custom crush. So we have right. up to 15 different clients, and we work with their specifications on what they want to make, um, whether that's more Bordeaux or Rhone-focused, mm-hmm. um, or whether that's heavy on the oak or not. Um, okay. We, we kind of work with them. I'm going to push this a little closer Sure. Um, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, this. Okay. <laughs> So you're in the right path. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Because um, the wor- the forklift and the cleaning sounds so glamorous. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Wine Spectator magazine where you're just, where you're lounging around on a barrel and like right. tasting wine all day. It's like, right. it's very blue collar, but it's really challenging and it gives you little, little uh, rewards along the way. Right. So it's, I guess that's the definition of a rewarding job. I think a lot of people do think that winemaking is very glamorous, but it's, it's farming essentially. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not even on the viticulture side. Like, her quaddie takes care of all of that. Mm-hmm. Make sure the fruit's really clean when it comes in. And then these beautiful bins come off these trucks. And, like, it's our job not to mess it up in the winery. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, we'll talk about what you want to be when you grow up a little bit more. <laughs> um, where are you from originally? Um, I was born in Lompoc, California, um, okay. on the Vandenberg Air Force Base. Oh. And then we moved north steadily um, and by 1994 and a half I would say we were in talent and we were renting a house on Arno Lane and then or Arnos one of the two whatever yeah we get you can be French with it yeah Arnos I like it okay <laughs> and uh, so my my parents were searching for the house on Dixie Lane where where my mom is now and so that's nice. that's where I grew up I grew up southwest Medford like a mile from here you grew up on that. Dixie Lane Dixie Lane yeah I like it so <laughs> Air, on an Air Force base? Uh, just when I was super little. Okay, so yeah. is, is someone in your family military? Yeah, my dad was Air Force, and my two younger brothers are actually both Navy. Wow. So, yeah. Okay, so you didn't have that moving around all over the place? No, he pretty he got out, and he was testing to be a police officer. My dad was mm-hmm. um, in 93, 94, and he got some pretty good scores in Chico, so we almost ended up there. Mm. Um, but he decided Southern Oregon would be better to raise kids, and so that's okay. where we landed. So you went to all schools here yeah, in Medford? Yeah, Gr- Griffin Creek Elementary School, McLaughlin Woo-hoo! Middle School, and Old South. Old South. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. What was that like, just growing up here? Awesome. It was, um, my parents were still together at the time, so mm-hmm. I had a very, like, leave it to beaver Perfect. scenario like my mom would make me after school snacks and come in and volunteer in my classroom and my dad coached soccer and they were just all they were very involved with my life so do you think that made an impact on you at all the fact that they were around yeah yeah I, I kind of feel 
my brother Sam and I talked about this, I kind of feel a little privileged because mm. of that. Because I know a lot of people don't have the stable home life growing up or they had mm-hmm. to move around a lot. or And that makes them interesting people in the long run. But I feel very fortunate that I have roots somewhere and mm-hmm. I'm able to kind of to kind of go back to my mom's house and call it home. Right. Um, I think that's pretty lucky. Yeah. So. And your parents divorced at some point? Yeah. When it, when uh, my second year of college, it was kind of starting to unravel a little bit. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, are you the oldest? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That explains a lot. Yeah. A little overachiever? <laughs> no. 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 My, nope. <laughs> my type A and my type B kind of fight each other. I procrastinate a lot, but then I mm. get this little bug that I need to do all the checks on the to-do list. Yeah. So. It's a mix. I'm the worst procrastinator. I'm better now, but in school especially, I was awful. Yeah. And you, we talked about this. um, I texted you this morning and I was like, hey, I'm running late. And you wrote back, story of my life. (laughs) I was like, oh, we're going to be pals because I'm late everywhere. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay, yeah, to be Mm -hmm. maybe a little late. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of awkward when people are early to things sometimes. I so agree. My husband is on, he is early to everything. Mm-hmm. He says, if you're on time, you're already late. Right. He's one of those. And I'm like, whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't, whatever. But yeah, I've, I've always been late. And the only time I think I changed it with this job, I was late somewhere, like 15 minutes late. And my interview was like, I'm not talking to you today because you wasted my time. Yeah. Yeah. I lost a job over being late. I have, there's been consequences for being late, yeah. but so I try to be more on time right. these days, but early 20s, Sarah was not on time anywhere, <laughs> anywhere. And there's nothing like when those repercussions happen, you, it's a total butt clench moment where yeah. you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm you're so like, sorry. Oh, that was avoidable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I would have just got my oh, crap yeah. together a little earlier. Yep. Okay. Anyways, we could talk about being late. <laughs> One last point on being late. If you're coming over to my house for dinner, please be late. Yeah. Yeah. I'm never ready. Yeah. Never. Nope. No. Not that I cook, but... At least 15, 20 minutes, please be late. I'll come a little late with a couple bottles of wine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. Um, So college, your parents divorced... My parents divorced when I was eight. Mm -hmm. Did that have any sort of impact on you or did you know it was coming? Um, Well, we took a family vacation for spring break my sophomore year and I kind of... I kind of sensed that something was happening, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just one of those things, uh, they, and kind of announced it and my dad moved out when I was 21. So it was a little messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as an adult go- watching them go through that, I learned what not to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is really great. Um, For sure. so I think I have different views on marriage and joint bank accounts and things that are a little skewed from what they were uh-huh. based on my experience there. I think I had it easier because I was out of the house than my brother Sam and my brother Joey. They For really sure. got the brunt of that. So they had a very different experience growing up, the the second half of it. So it was pretty sure. interesting. And it's so weird. I I still think divorce is such a it can be such an ugly word still. Yeah. I mean if it just if it doesn't work out then then change something, you know? Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Um I, I totally are you closer with your mom or dad or Definitely closer with my mom at yeah. this point. Yeah. My dad and I really, um, we try to keep in contact as much as possible, but mm-hmm. it's really no more than a phone call a month at this point. He lives down in Reading now. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, but your mom still lives here. Yeah. Okay. So. Same house. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. Is she it was, weird? She paid it off last year. It's, I'm really proud that we have that. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's okay. So what were you like in high school? Uh, 3.5 grade point average, really, really involved with extracurriculars. Like I was in six ensembles at a time, um, cause I did flute, piccolo, alto sax, a little bit of guitar on like the side. 
Um, Dang. Yeah, and uh, I was in Key Club at one point. Like, I was just really involved and wanted to be out there and doing new things. And I had a part-time job after school as well. I was a lifeguard. Wow, um, and still maintained a 3.5. Still maintained a 3.5, so I was really that, that ultra well-rounded mm-hmm. person. But I was never home, and I was just running from 5 a.m. to... 9 p.m. at night sometimes my senior year so it was a lot I, I piled it on mm-hmm. yeah um what's key club again for my... uh, you know I don't even remember I think it's it's kind of like a it's like a business fundraising oh, sort of yeah, you're maybe right. I, yeah okay like a leadership thing okay so you're very <laughs> musical then yeah, I was yeah you don't play anything anymore no I I was very pressured by both my parents to never ne- no matter how broke and starving I was in college like <laughs> never sell your musical instruments oh so I, I still have all of them oh and, that's so awesome yeah, and uh, I fully plan on trying to work that back into my life eventually I'm yeah. finding a common theme with people who make wine or in the wine industry are were total like band nerds in high school. Kylie Evans does strike me as a trumpet player, he honestly. There's so... something about him that yeah. brass players have that air about them. And he was super smart and academic mm-hmm. and then he was also a jock. Like yeah. he played all these sports. So I find that really I didn't ask does, was Liz in the high school band? She played violin and piano. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're talking or about cello, you guys. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. You guys you, strings. You wine you wine guys. Um <laughs> uh what came after high school? Uh, I went to U of O. Okay. Um, I studied. I went in with a psychology major, and then I had this. This I was being a bratty teenager about it. Like 8:30 a.m., 500 person class in the biggest hall in at U of O campus, <laughs> and I was like, "This sucks. I'm changing my major." Like after half of a term. Oh. And so I just didn't really even give it a chance. And then I switched over to political science. Okay. Um, before I was really jaded about everything. Right. And then before it got really dark and scary out there. <laughs> and then uh, I added a double major on, so I was political science, philosophy, and a minor in anthro at one point because I I like to learn, but I really really hate playing the grades game, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I never finished. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think a lot of people are the same way. Y- you just want to go and absorb. And you don't learn want the pressure. about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. pressure of like getting a grade. Um, that's why I hated sociology because I just, <laughs> I liked being there, but I didn't want to write any papers about it. Right. It was just, it's an interesting topic. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I actually have multiple, um, instances where, you know, I, I wish I could walk around with a clipboard and ask people really intimate questions, which is kind of a, a version of what you're doing mm-hmm, currently. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, like, damn, should have been a sociologist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know there's something about um, w- when you get past being uncomfortable and you can just ask really intimate questions mm-hmm. and then people are open to answering them. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. Yeah. And especially when you're, they know you're going to share it with everybody. Mm-hmm. It's like your deep, dark secrets. I'm going to tell everybody. Right. Just put it all yeah, out. Yeah, put it all out there. <laughs> Here I am. Um, so you didn't finish, but when was that? Like, how old were you where you were like, I'm out? Uh, I was, well, I got a, I dropped out after three years of being at U of O, and I still lived in Eugene. So I went down for an internship from, um, that my aunt Cheryl offered me, mm-hmm. um, and it was in a cell phone site acquisition company mm-hmm. so it was basically turnkey you you do from point a to point b like all the different steps to try and get a cell phone tower put in and in california oh. it's really there's a lot of paperwork each county is different mm-hmm. um and so i did that and that was kind of my 
my internship where I was in an office. And that's when I knew, like it was a really good experience, but I mm-hmm. knew that that kind of work wasn't gonna be for me. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really valuable to me to, to get that morsel. For sure. Um, so after I did that, I went back up to Eugene for a year, but I wasn't actually going to school. I was just kind of hanging out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was kind of like, oh, like, that was not responsible, Sarah. <laughs> um, and so I get a phone call one day after I had had some health issues, because um, I was going out five nights a week, for a couple years at so, that point. Well, how old were you though? Uh, 23. Yeah, I mean, 22. Yeah. Yeah. And so I got a phone call from my mom and she's like, hey, I need you to come home. You know, we got to work together to pay this mortgage so I can keep the house after the divorce. So I was like, mm. perfect, no problem. I loaded my stuff up in uh, my beautiful boat, my 1995 Lincoln Town car, which smelled like gas. I mean, I love that car. I just posted a picture of it online not too long you ago. You still have it? No, no. I oh. sold it to this guy who loves it just as much as I did. So oh, I, awesome. I feel okay about it. He's this big lanky dude. He's like, yeah, I need room, you know. Anyways, bought it for $1,000, sold it for uh, $1,300. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Those um, cars, they're like, they are like boats on they the freeway. Float. Yes. Yeah, it's, be- it's amazing. Yeah, they're yeah. good cars, good cars. Okay, mm-hmm. so you come home. Did that phone home. call, you think, like kind of save you a little bit? Uh, maybe a little bit. I may, I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to admit that yet, okay. but probably. <laughs> yeah. Cause like I, I, as a teenager, I was really bratty. I was like, I'm never coming back to the Rogue Valley. I'm so like restless mm-hmm. and the suburban drama of it all, you know? And then like all teenagers are bratty about that. And mm-hmm. then they feel like they have to go somewhere else to start their life over. And it's like, no, like I always kind of knew in the back of my mind that I would come back here. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I came home and Um, then I had to get a full-time job. So I applied everywhere that could have gone many different places, but, um, I ended up at Harry and David, Mm -hmm. um, at the, I ended up in shipping for Christmas and then I worked my butt off and they were like, okay, you can stay for a permanent position, but we're going to move you to produce. So I did produce for a little while. And then I started like kind of hanging out in the wine department across the way. It was very shiny, very well organized. So pretty. Everybody over there kind of gets paid for their opinion, which is what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of them. So uh, so I just started hanging out over there. And finally, I sat down with a manager, Brenda, over there. I think she still is a manager. And I was like, look, give me a chance. If I mess it up in two weeks, three weeks, give me like this probationary period. I will show you that I have something to bring to the table on this. Mm-hmm. And because I'm bored otherwise, I just moved back. I don't have a good group of friends. So I kind of sunk myself into that. Um, so they were like, okay, we'll give you a shot. So I went over and I had a lot of uncomfortable questions at first. People were like, tell me a little bit about this Cabernet Sauvignon. And I'm like, uh, uh, were you I a wine know. drinker at this point? A little bit. Okay. I liked to get drunk, but I knew that there was a better way to do it. <laughs> That's so honest. I, I wish that there was a more glamorous response to that, but no. that's really where it came from. It's very honest. Yeah. And and that's it's anybody who knows me knows and I like to go and have a good time. And mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of from that. And uh, I would go home and I would study on Wikipedia. It was a great, but Wine Folly, F-O-L-L-Y, mm-hmm. great website for learning stuff. I would go through and I would take each point of concern from the day. I would write down the questions I didn't know answers to, and I would go home and research that. Like varietal after varietal, just kind of self-studying to make Mm -hmm. sure that I had just a basis of what was happening. Um, So if someone came in, one of the distributors came in and poured me a Chablis, I I knew what was going on with that and what to expect. Interesting. So So you you got bitten by the bug. Yeah, I did. And it all started at Harry and David. It did, yeah. So, I love that. Yeah, bottle shop, retail. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I kind of have a feeling we're close to the same age. 
if you if you don't mind like when what what decade were you born in i was born in 1990 nope not even close <laughs> Not even, not even really, not even close at all. Okay, so never mind. But in college, um, what was your, because you, alcohol, like what, what did you go for in college? Um, I really liked to carry around a big purse with <laughs> new Amsterdam gin and sh- a couple shot glasses. Like you have to have oh at least gosh. two. <laughs> then, Dude, that's like hardcore. Well, you know, because so then you have your chaser, right? So you have little cups for your chaser. And so you have, like, maybe um, Sprite and gin. Okay. And you walk up to a party where you know no one. Okay. And you walk into their kitchen, and everyone's kind of looking at you like, what are you doing And you here? pull a massive Who bottle you of gin out of Just purse. a fifth, not massive, you know, not a handle. <laughs> and you just, you put it on the counter, and you put two shot glasses out, and you motion, like, you're like, who lives here? Come take a shot with me. Come on. Like, like That's a good way to make friends. Yeah. It was awesome. My cousin Cody actually taught me that. He'd roll up t- with a six-pack of cheap beer. You know, and he would just be like, hey, what's going on? What's your name? Oh, Larry. Cool. Okay. And then I, all the, like, who do you know? Oh, I know Larry. Like, you know, it's just, That's it's easy. brilliant. Mm-hmm. That's really smart. It's fun. So I, my drink of choice in college was Boone's. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> oh, man. So gross now. Like, it's so awful. I know. I would drink anything, though. I mean, it's not just gin. I like tequila. I like, I, right now I like really good scotch and bourbon and I'm kind of more picky with all my alcohol and mm-hmm. all my coffee choices and yeah. oh for sure I think yeah. there's something you hit this certain age and I didn't really drink wine in college but after I started getting into it and you mm-hmm. all, I think everybody starts with like Riesling you know it's like oh I'll have a nice Riesling and yeah. then you just gradually get if if you're into it you just get more I guess, adventurous when it comes to your drinking choices. Yeah. I was walking down the aisle of a Safeway and I had just recently turned 21 and I was like, oh, that looks good. So I finally bought my first bottle and it was Honeywood's Oregon Blackberry wine. And so from there, I vowed, I was like, I'm not going to buy the same bottle of wine in the first three years of my wine drinking experience here. So I didn't. And I I tried all the way. I went from, you know, Moscato to Riesling to slightly sweet Gewürztraminer Mm -hmm. to all these different things, all these aromatic whites into kind of lighter reds. And Pinot Noir was a good gateway for reds. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. It is a good gateway wine. (laughs) Thank you, Pinot Noir. Um, Also, back in the day, I don't know if you remember Druid's Fluid. Back in the day, like yeah. a long time ago, like Herb's time, like early two um, thousands, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that was my gateway mm-hmm. red wine, and that kind of that's what it's up meant everything. for. You know, it's meant to be a decent table wine that you can put on the table, and it'll appeal to a multitude of different mm-hmm. levels of wine drinking. And it does. Yeah, it does. We 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 should probably stop talking about drinking. It's <laughs> what almost 10 o'clock okay so you are in Harry and David you're working your butt off which Mm -hmm. is kind of like the story of your life it sounds like you find something that you're interested in and you're just like oh I gotta know everything about it yeah okay so did you just really become good at answering questions about wine yeah I think I recognized early on that when when you were more confident about what you were saying people were like oh okay and then they'd actually physically take the bottle off the shelf and put it in their their basket. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how do I get, how do I do that? It was sort of a game. How do I figure out how to get these wines sold? Especially if people walk in and they say, I've never heard about this grape varietal, tell me more. And then they trust you because you've had sort of not a long-term relationship with them, but sort of like you've seen them a couple times. Mm-hmm. They'll give you an empty case in their basket and they'll be like, fill it up. Mm-hmm. I didn't like A, B, and C from the last 
case that you you tried me on. I was like, okay, well, all those were Spanish wines, so let's go Italian. Okay. And so it was like this, this it was a challenge, and I liked it. That's trust, too, when someone, yeah. and then if you give them a bad recommendation a couple of times, they're sayonara, they're done. Yeah, a lot of them, I've found that they were willing to come back and give you another shot, because mm -hmm. um, there's a return policy as long as the whole bottle's not gone, um, so that worked to my advantage. <laughs> they could open it, try a glass, and then bring it back and be like, this really wasn't for me, or this was corked, or this was flawed mm -hmm, in some mm -hmm. way. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a good way to kind of build a repertoire with people. What came after Harry and David? I, uh, I didn't necessarily split in the best way from that company. I respect them, love them. Um, but I ended up at Bella Union in Jacksonville okay. um, as a busser, which did not pay my bills at 25 years old no. at that point. Mm -mm. Um, I worked there for probably nine months. Okay. Um, eight to nine months. But I really kind of... Um, there was me and another busser, Megan, and we were kind of both sort of the alphas of the busser crew. And so we had to figure each other out. And, and just the people at Bella are awesome. Did you guys um, butt heads? We butt heads at first. We didn't like each other. And she actually dated my brother, Sam, when they were in seventh grade, if you could even call it dating. So there was that thing. <laughs> they were like, going out. They were going out. there. Yeah. Um, but we just kind of had to figure each other out, and that was uh, that was it. So I worked the bar a little bit, but I wasn't serving. Mm -hmm. um, and I would make recommendations for the servers there. They were like, "Ah, oh, somebody ordered the chicken piccata. What do you what do you recommend?" And I'd be like, "Oh, that," you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just it was an interesting little transitional job. But I kind of I don't know. I maybe I needed a breather. I don't know. Yeah, you strike me as the type that you would be the alpha pretty much anywhere you go. I I think vice president at least because I'm like I'm ready to step in and do that leadership position, but mm -hmm. I also want to stand back and observe what's going on because mm -hmm. everybody has different leadership styles mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily want to fight people on that, you yeah. know. In the newsroom at least, um my title went from executive producer, which is like kind of number 2 in the mm -hmm. newsroom. And now I we've hired an executive producer, so I'm executive producer of special projects. Nice. So I'm kind of like number three. And I can't help myself. Like, there'll be a discussion. It has nothing to do with me. And I'm just like, here's what I think you need to yeah. do. It's obnoxious. <laughs> like, I annoy myself. But I can't help it. No, it's just, it's being assertive. And, and again, having oh. an opinion, which I think is really important. Yeah, yeah, I have lots of them. Yeah, me too. Lots of them. I dig that. Um, okay, so you're working at Bella. And... Was there ever a point where you're just like, I need to get, I need to get my crap together and do something? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, the day I started working there. But again, like they treated me really well there. Mm -hmm. They were understanding. Um, <laughs> I actually, my first day that I started working there, I had sixty-five dollars to my name, and it, I had it in cash in my wallet, and I had it in a locker downstairs, thinking that if no one knew it was there, then maybe they wouldn't steal it. But it got stolen on the first day. Oh crap! And I was like, I don't know this crew enough to figure out who did it, but I was just like, okay. And and I knew it was a good place to work when the manager was like, here's 65 bucks of my own. I'm sorry that that happened. We'll try to work on getting it back. But they were like, oh my God, I'm sorry. And so it was wow. just, it was really cool. It was yeah. from the very beginning, it was a very good work environment. So I, I appreciate my time there and mm -hmm. Jacksonville's cute and quaint. And right. Yeah. So then what came after Bella? Um, I was, it was kind of a smoky August. It was, oh, what, smoky yeah, in Oregon in August. What? Crazy. <laughs> um, I was just inside and, and I didn't work until four or 5 PM that day. I think mm -hmm. and my friend Mary Playstead calls me and she's like, Hey, uh, all the bosses are sitting down at, at barrel 42. This is a rare opportunity for you to come and interview. They're looking for interns. I was like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So I, um, 
I went there and I was like, I, you know, I'm going to be honest. I sat down with um, Nicole Schulte, Brian Gruber, and Herb Quaddy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to be honest. I just had an interview an hour ago with Chris Graves out over at Namus. They're pouring concrete. It's going to be this great custom crush facility. They're looking for similar people. Um, so why should I go with you instead? And they were like, well, you know, we've got the reputation. That's we ballsy. Ha- yeah, I mean, like, you know, why, why should, why should I work there versus here? Because this, this is what I have to offer. I don't, I don't know anything about production side of things, but I'm willing to learn, um, and I have a good work ethic. And they're like, okay, well, you know, we have a, we have a, a reputation, and Chris does great things over there, but you know, come work with us. And mm-hmm. so I was like, okay. I, I will. And I deliberated all night. I didn't get any sleep. And, you know, I kind of told both of them yes at the same time. Whoops. And then I had to call Chris Graves in the morning and be like, um. So when was this? Uh, f- 2014, I think, the fall of 14. Okay. Yeah. Because Barrel 42 was fairly new. It was the second year they had <clears throat> been there. I think they moved into the building they're in now in 13, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did you decide to go with them instead of Namus? Um, I liked that they were just honest and open with me. Like they answered my questions and, and it's not like Chris didn't. I just, I just took a leap of faith. I think it was like a gut decision. It was, it was kind of Mm -hmm. intuitive, honestly. A Mm -hmm. lot of things in my life are kind of intuitive. Same. Yeah. I always, it's so interesting. We talk a lot about that in this podcast, people, the paths that they go down, it's always a gut hit mm-hmm. it's just like what is your gut telling you right now and yeah. it's like that's where you go and it always ends up working out yeah it's yeah. crazy even if you're kind of unsure when you're making the decisions mm-hmm. yeah and I think um I think I've heard you say in the past like everything happens for a reason it does I disagree you re- really yeah I'm on the other camp okay you know? why they, why do you say that well in my philosophy classes at U of O I took this class called existentialism 201 okay. and I went out and got it tattooed on my bicep Right. And so this concept is is the universe is passive and it doesn't care, you know, if we were going to personify it in order to explain it. It doesn't care if you exist or not. It's absurd that humans exist. It's absurd that that the the planet has these conditions where humans can survive. So when you take that and you say all of our lives don't have any inherent meaning, it sounds really dark. No, but I'm I'm following you. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it goes into nihilism camp and then from that you build it and say, okay, but because of that, I get to decide my own dogma, if you will. I get to decide my own uh, moral parameters. And I, I like that rather than glomming onto something that's already out there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of existentialism for me, but it's kind of like you're, you're re- you really are carving your own path and it's sort of, sort of stoicism mixed in with that. Okay. So reason really has no place. It's just, you're, you're choosing this because you're choosing it. It's not like the universe has this plan for you. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah kind okay. of on the other camp. I know. I know. It's cool. No, and it's, I mean, and I think that's, I guess it's, for me, it's always, it re, is a reassurance. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's like, I choose, I choose this, it's because, well, it's meant to be. Yeah. It's for a reason. Like you meet somebody, I think you meet someone for a reason, or you chose to have dinner at eight instead of nine. Mm-hmm. There was a reason because then this happened at nine o'clock. Right. And if you were eating dinner at nine, then this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I'm more on the camp of like, life is kind of chaos and, mm-hmm. and our lives affect other people's lives by the small decisions we make, like having dinner at nine. Mm-hmm. And that can create 
these different set of circumstances where all these other people's influence came in with the little decisions that they made. It's all very Do you connected. feel, do you think though that there are people who come into your life for a reason? Uh, no, I don't no? think so. <laughs> I'm not going to get you on this. <laughs> it's okay. We'll agree to disagree. Yeah. That's yeah. the beauty of, exactly. of relationships. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you chose to go uh, with Barrel 42. Yeah. And you're still working with them. Still working with them. Yeah. This is my fourth harvest. <clears throat> well, and if anyone was at the Oregon Wine Experience, we would know it was a smart decision because <laughs> they're, that trio is quite talented. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I was walking up and I took my mom cause she likes to go to these events mm -hmm. and stuff. And, um, I was walking up, I was like, dang, I'm really nervous. I hope we get like one, one best in show would be super cool. Cause we mm -hmm. got the 2016 MRV blend from Cliff Creek last year. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, you know, if we just get one, that'd be pretty sweet. And so we got one. I was like, okay, cool. And then they announced the second one. I was like, hmm, two is kind of a weird number. It's either got to be one or three. And then they, they did the third one. And I right. was like, I can't believe that that just happened. I looked around. I was like, is this happening? Like, it's awesome. Did you get, do you, do you see that? Yeah. <laughs> I think too, the other part of it is, um, I just like the fact that the three best of show wines were all from Southern Oregon. Yeah, I know. It's like, feels good. Yeah, if I want to be cocky about it, it's like Portland yeah. didn't even show up. Yeah, yeah, be cocky. <laughs> well, and I didn't even do anything, and I'm like, yay, best of show, Southern <laughs> Oregon. Like, I have nothing to do with any of those wines. Well, the community support matters. Like, if you guys aren't buying local wine, then mm -hmm. we wouldn't exist. So mm -hmm. it's it's all kind of interconnected. Yeah. Okay, so you're working with them right now on the production side. You're making your own wine? I am, yeah. Okay, what, what wine are you making, if I can ask? It's a, I just bottled two weeks ago, um, a 2016 uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, um, and my LLC is named Circadian Cellars, like circadian rhythms, mm -hmm. cycles of, you know, both, uh, you know, from the feminine camp and also from the natural camp and like how I, I still get back to school jitters in September, mm -hmm. but that's mm -hmm. because harvest is about to start. So mm -hmm. September's a really transitional month for me. You feel different in January than you feel in July. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to tap into that and, um, kind of show that off and I don't know it's it's I'm still working on the branding of that yeah but that's my brand um I am the exact same way I feel like June is such a it's like you're you're done kind of like I don't I don't buy into the January is a new year yeah I don't either and it, it, it's September never been that is way a new year. <laughs> I agree yeah I've always been there's something about August and September mm -hmm. that there's this uh feeling of a beginning yeah I agree that's interesting yeah and a lot of people are January is their beginning. Yeah. No, not for me. Yeah. January is boring and gray. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. <laughs> and spring you get, I start to get itchy for like exactly. summer. Cause mm -hmm. it's like, then you feel like you're going to be done with something. I don't mm -hmm. know. I agree. So this is what you want to do when you grow up. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I have a 2017 wine in barrel right now. It's from the lane vineyard. Um, local family, father and son operation mm -hmm. here. And they work really closely with Herb. And so we either broker their fruit or make it for their own lane label. And so my 17 vintage is going to be 90% um, Merlot, 10% Cabernet Sauvignon, and it's in a Bulgarian oak barrel, which is interesting. I want to play around with that. The cost is a little lower than um, French oak, but I think it's fairly similar. Hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I kind of want to make a light chillable red for this year. I think that's kind of where the trend in the wine market is going based on what I see in the natural wine world. Mm -hmm. So maybe a, maybe a Primitivo, like 
Interesting. A little lighter, a little okay. fruity, kind of Bomba-esque mm -hmm. because that Kwani North Bomba is kind mm -hmm. of the inspiration for this next vintage. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing worse when, especially if you're at a restaurant and you get a glass of wine and it's like hot. Yeah. It's hot, alcoholic. It's been open for four days and you know it. Barf. Yeah. yeah. You know. It's yeah. not good. Do you want your own vineyard? Do you want your own winery or do you just want to make wine? Yeah, I want it all. You want I it all? I have a very, like, Pisces are dreamers. Mm -hmm. um, I have a very specific vision of what I want. I love architecture, but I hate math. So I really want to work with an architect that kind of works. Mm -hmm. um, and I have this, I have folders and folder, folders on um, my Instagram account that just have these beautiful, like, very small, compact houses with a lot of outdoor living space, floor-to-ceiling um, windows, like hanging gardens. Like I want to get crazy with it, like hand painted tiles. Like I want the whole thing and I awesome. want coming out to my house to be kind of an experience. Mm -hmm. And, and then you get to drink good wine that I made as part of that. I love it. Yeah. I want to plant varietals that no one's worked with before. I want to go. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's probably more like a 20 year plan, but I'm going to get there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think this is another thought. I feel like also if you put it out there, and you envision it and you talk about it and you have folders on your Instagram yeah. and you save pictures with all of this vision, it's going to happen. Yeah. And it, more importantly, like if you tell people, if you really believe in yourself that you can do it, you mm -hmm. can do it. And it's about focus. And, um, you know, my brother could potentially move back and, and, and help you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pressure's on, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Pressure <laughs> Come is Come back to on. Oregon, Sam. Come on. Um, <laughs> I, we sometimes talk about tattoos and I know you've said you have a couple. How mm -hmm. many tattoos do you have? Uh, five, I think. Okay. Yeah. What was your first one? I have a treble clef on my foot. Nice. <laughs> Went right off to college and got it. <laughs> That's like awesome and nerdy. I love mm -hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, do you have a favorite? Uh, I think my existentialism tattoo is my favorite right now. Um, I have a cool one that's kind of abstract on the outside of my arm, and um, the tattoo artist is in Inglewood, Colorado, and I visited them last time I was out there to visit my cousin in Denver. So mm -hmm. I plan on trying to make a trip out there within the next year. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I can get that tattoo artist to work on me again. Did you we'll get see. your favorite tattoo? Did you get that after the class or during the class? or Directly after, and I just got the word existentialism in script. And then I got, I went back two, three years later to the same tattoo shop and a different artist mm -hmm. put the waves around it. It's kind of like okay. um, stained glass waves. Nice. So, awesome. Yeah. Um, we're going to wrap up. I'm going to get to the final three. But one question, well, it's not really a question. It's more of a statement. You're incredibly honest. Like there's something about, it's very refreshing you just sort of like lay it all out on the table mm -hmm. and you don't really hold anything back. I'm an overshare. Overshare? <laughs> Where did that come from, you think? Oh, my mom is a classic overshare with people she's she's close with, um, at least. I don't know. I just, I don't. Like you don't care. Yeah, well, I mean, I do care what people think because I'm not living on an island necessarily. Like I'm human and I, I, I exist within a community and I mm -hmm. hope that those other community members are saying good things about me when I'm not in the room. Uh, but sure, that's not yeah. how I, like I have to do what's right for me sometimes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think life's too short to, to not live authentically. Like be figure out who you are. That's hard enough. And then oh. come back to that and keep that at the center. Well, it's always changing, too. Who you mm -hmm. are is always changing. Absolutely, or it should be. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. what I thought about several things last year, I don't think the same about mm -hmm. it this year. Yeah, grow and change and kind of sit in yourself how you are today, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, 
And it's the same, you could look at that with politicians. Well, they had this opinion in, you know, the year 2000 and it's changed in 2018. Yeah. That's okay. It is okay. There's so much criticism for changing your opinion these days and I don't know where that comes from. I don't either. Yeah. And it's, it's okay to change your view on whatever you want to change it on. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't like war. I really, I mean, that's like a generalized statement. And I was really nervous. I really didn't want my brothers to go into the military at first. Mm -hmm. And now they're in it and they're doing really well. Like Joey hasn't left yet technically, but he's really excited. He's shipping off to boot camp like next Tuesday or something. He's mm -hmm. really close to going. But Sam has done really well for himself. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that my opinion on that has definitely changed. That's a good example of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I do care what other people think of me. The idea of someone not liking me is kind of devastating. <laughs> but then at the end of the day, it's, I can't, it's that, that quote that, you know, you can, everybody doesn't love peaches. Like you can be the best peach on the planet, yeah. but there's always going to be a few people who just don't like peaches. Right. And I'm okay at this point, as I get older, I'm okay more and more with not being everyone's cup of tea because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm my own. Right. <laughs> Does that make sense? And why would you want to be? Right. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a song called there's a, a song by Casey Musgraves called Cup of Tea, and that's exactly what she talks about. Cool. I'll have yeah. to check it out. Yeah. OK. Anyways, we could just chit chat forever, yeah. I feel like. <laughs> um, OK, final three. Uh, best advice you've ever been given. I have a couple. Okay. Um, my dad always said when he was coaching my soccer teams, he always said, leave it all on the field. Like mm -hmm. anything you do. And we touched on this a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. I think. Just everything you do, just try your best. And then if it if it totally goes awry, then you can at least say that you did your best. Nice. My mom has always told me to take pride in my work, um, to not just be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to, like, whatever, like, throw this project out. Like, really take time and take pride in it. Mm -hmm. And then I heard a podcast um, where people were not necessarily, they weren't interviewing Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger, but they were talking about their secrets to success and, um, they asked them both in an interview and they both said focus at the same time without hesitation. Mm. So focus on whatever you want to achieve. You mm -hmm. can do it as long as you focus and get rid of those distractions in your life. Mm -hmm. And that's been a real struggle for me. So I have to keep that in my brain always. Yeah. Focus. And <laughs> yeah. I think focus and take pride in your work really kind of go hand in hand because mm -hmm. you have, it's go big or go home. Like if yeah. you're going to do it, do it right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, if you ever left this place, Southern Oregon, what would bring you back here? What would you miss the most? I don't want to leave. <laughs> I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. No, we need that winery here. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, little things like the way that the light hits the Southern Hills back there. You have you guys have a great view of that area mm, that I like. My favorite. Um, you know, the, the way that the air smells in the fall, mm. which is pretty pretty basic of me to say <laughs> no yesterday is a prime example the weather we had yesterday oh, perfect like upper 70s maybe blue yeah. sky cool sunny. In the morning oh gosh there's nothing like mm -hmm. it it's yeah i take my massive dog for a walk in the morning and that's i that's like my church cane corso right mm -hmm. yeah it's a big dog <laughs> he's big he's yeah. very he's very large but there's something about there's just something about southern oregon yeah. it's the, the air the air and also medford city water it's so good. Right? It it's is so, so good. good. And I, I notice when I'm on a well or I, you know, I'm mm -hmm. in Ashland, it just, it, there's nothing like mm -hmm. the water here. We just got back from Las Vegas and the water is mm. awful. No. It's awful. Nope. Even with, if it's a, so, if it's been softened or treated, it's awful. Yuck. Sorry, Las Vegas, your water sucks. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh, if you were given a final meal 
and a final drink, what would that look like? Uh, I would definitely go the courses route. Um, and it doesn't really matter what's in the courses as mm -hmm. long as the wine and the, and the food complement each other in a perfect way. Okay. So I'm thinking like Italian Arnaise and fresh oysters um, with like the lemon drizzle yes. thing and yeah. like maybe some capers or something just really clean and mm -hmm. nice to get it going. And then just imagine the most decadent, um, the most decadent cheese plate you could possibly imagine. <laughs> okay. Like the, I mean, I want duck prosciutto. I want pate with things that I can't pronounce in it. I want, I want uh, mimoulette, um, which yeah. is like, yeah, it's so good. It's nice and nutty, kind of a hazelnutty vibe. Mm -hmm. I want triple cream goat brie that's washed with something like orangey, orange rind, soft cheese. I want all of it okay. and all the different wines. And then to end, it would have to be some sauterne. But then also we had this meal uh, Brian, Nicole, my friend Andrea, and I had this meal at uh, El Toro Bravo in Portland. Oh, yeah. Tapas, uh -huh. braised pork cheek, and a little bit of, you know, just like little bites, but one after the other after the mm -hmm. other black squid ink with the egg that you mix in. Uh -huh. All the stuff. <laughs> and then to end it, like really old sherry, like real old. We had a flight that was obnoxiously expensive. It was like 53 bucks for three ounces. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. And one was 1973, 1965, and 1953. And it's some of the oldest wine I've had, but it was, it was sherry. You haven't thought about this at all. <laughs> I love food. I love drink. Same here. Yeah. And yeah. In, all in moderation. That's of course. the most important part. Of course. But there's, um, yeah, I mean, that's just... If someone were to describe, like, describe yourself, it would wine or drink and food mm -hmm. is up there mm -hmm. for me. It just makes yeah. me happy. I don't really trust people who see food as, like, fuel. I don't, mm -mm. How do you live your life like that? Mm -mm. <laughs> no, I agree. Or people are like, sorry, I'm a food snob. And I'm like, oh, you're my people. Cool, yeah. yeah. You're my people. Perfect. Yes. It's okay to be snobby because yes. I am totally self-proclaimed lush snob. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, Sarah Gar, winemaker, just cool chick. Thanks for putting it out there. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Keep doing it. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We're also on Google Play. And if you'd like to check out the video portion of this podcast, just head to ktvl.com, click on features, and then off script. Once again, Sarah Gar, I like you. <laughs>